COVID-19 is still around, but that doesn't mean the Army ROTC programs are not there for you. Earn scholarships for school and pursue the career you want. The leadership developing Army ROTC classes will give any full-time student the focus and resources that can open doors down the road. Start sharpening the skills that will carve out your future today. Learn how at GoArmy.com ROTC. Army ROTC, now accepting college scholarship applications. Visit GoArmy.com slash money for college. You know I'm right, and Nick Durst here with Joe Calabrese. And Joe, it's not every day we have an Emmy Award winner joining us on the show. No, it's not. And it's also not every day that we have a uh, Marist alumni with us today. <laughs> uh, proud, proud Red Fox. Go Red Foxes. Uh, uh, monumental, amazing New York sports personality. Guy who's bounced a little bit around the country. You know, he's been to Detroit. He's been to the Bay Area. Came back to New York. Uh, does sports radio. Does sports TV. Uh, and now he's on the Discovery Channel. So that's going to be really, really fun to talk about. Uh, guy that I know really well. Met him first seven years ago when he came to Marist. And he did a... Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you hear him laughing in the background. Came up to Marist seven years ago, right as the uh, the Marist Sports Communications Program was getting right off the ground. And, and uh, that program has gone from Keith Strudler to now Jay McManus. So... Uh, a lot of really great things happening there. Uh, former Marist baseball player, uh, Division One player. I uh, wanted to throw that in there too. Uh, Mr. Brandon Tierney. Brandon Tierney, do you remember me? It's Joe Calabrese. Yeah. Hey, Joe, how, you? how you doing, guys? Thank you for having me on. I I remember the uh, I remember that tour. That was that was a uh, that was a college tour that I did. Boy, this was I think it was more than seven years ago. It had to be more than seven because. It, yeah, it was, look at, oh, wow. Okay, that was, oh, gotcha. That was something a little different. That was more like a, uh, more like just a journalism symposium. The one that I thought you meant, I do remember that, Joe. I absolutely remember taking that picture. I remember where we were. That was in Lowell Thomas, right? It was in Lowell Thomas. Yes, I, I remember. But there was also something I did a couple of years before that where when I was with 1050 ESPN Radio, we set up this BT tour and we wound up going to, obviously, Marist and Iona, St. Peter's, Fordham. Uh, I think we hit Stony Brook, Columbia, like 11 or 12 local schools. And we wound up making these T-shirts where, like, on the back, it was almost like a, a, a rock tour. Uh, you know, like you had all the different stops. And it was, it was actually a lot of fun. That was two different things. But, yes, I do remember meeting you. And I remember that day. Well, anything with Marist. Obviously, is very. And by the way, we won two straight. We won two games over the weekend. First time we started the season two and zero since since nineteen years ago. So all is good, man. All is good. All yeah, uh, Brandy, you're the perfect guest for us. Joe's of obviously Marist alum. I'm a St. John's alum. So yeah. those are your, those are your two your two schools. <laughs> the school you attended, your adopted school. And That's you right. met, you mentioned the BT tour. So I want to know it, when you got that nickname, which is just your initials. Mm-hmm. Is that something where you're like, wow, I really made that? Because not a lot made it. Not a lot of people go by their their, their initials, BT. And, you know, yeah. you have your CBS Sports Minutes, BT. And, yeah. of course, we had the famous uh, one when, when Damon Amendolora called himself DA and Mike Francesco was not happy about that. But he never had any issues with you going by BT. No, Mike and I had some other issues, although we've resolved them. But uh, yeah, and the funny thing, and I love DA, but DA changed it. Like, DA kind of caved uh, – 
and he wound up going from D.A. to Damon Amendola. He actually says his name. I don't care what my, I don't care what anybody says. I mean, you know, the funny thing is, too, it's um, the way it started. It started in Detroit. Nobody really, or very well, people in Detroit know this. Very few people here know this, the, the origin. So I'm in uh, Allentown, Pennsylvania, and it's my first radio job. Just just basically out of school. It's 1999. I'm, I'm obviously in my in my mid-20s, the early, early to mid-20s. Just getting going. And I'm in Allentown for about eight or nine months. And then whatever, the long state, long story short, the station flipped formats. I go out to Las Vegas. Uh, I landed on my feet pretty quickly, thankfully. Then I'm in Las Vegas for about uh, almost two years. They shut the door. I'm like, oh, that's two stations. And twice they've actually closed up shop. Maybe this is a foreshadow that uh, <laughs> yeah, everywhere you go is going to fail or, uh, or or shut the door and cease operations. And I wound up, again, thankfully, it's, it's lined up pretty well. And I knock on wood and I'm, I'm, very, I'm very aware that it could have gone a different route, especially when you're young and you have no track record. I wound up landing on my feet again pretty quickly. I go out to Detroit, right? So... I'm doing weekends to start. Again, I'm in my 20s. I'm having a good time. I'm going to every Pistons game. I've become pretty good, pretty good buddies with with Rick Carlisle. You know, I'm burying the Lions every time, which is they're horrendous. Uh, you know, the Tigers won like 50 something games. They were a disgrace. So, it, it, but it was Red Wings won the Stanley Cup. It was a good good stint, and I start on the weekends, and uh, I wind up. Again, it was relatively soon. I get elevated to middays by myself, which was the first time. Well, I had done solo shows on the weekend, but that's you get elevated to the weekday lineup. It's, you know, now you're in the big leagues and now you're not hitting eighth. You're hitting, you know, third or fourth or fifth. And, you know, now ratings really matter, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, the guy who's doing the morning show, uh, Greg Henson, who one of my staunch early champions and believers and supporters really believed in me. And my show was after him. So he's doing his show when he comes in. He's all right, we got and my style. And you guys know this, you, you know, my style is very fast, very loud, especially then. I think I've, you know, calmed down not too much. You know, I still have my moments where you got to air it out. But I think day to day, listen, I got kids. I'm a dad. You know, you, you, you know you're in your 40s. It's just a little different delivery to an extent. But especially then, I was just a heat-seeking missile who, I mean, I just wanted to obliterate anything in my path. It was I was just hell-bent on, quote-unquote, making it. And he started calling me the BT Express. That's how it started. So the BT, there was a, a group back in the day, in the 70s. I never even heard of them until Greg said, you got to listen to the song. And, it's you know, the, the group is called the BT Express, and the song is... Here comes the express. And I started using it as intro music. It was like, he comes the express. Doo, doo. And like the horn, the, the train sound. Doo, doo. And I'd start my show. And I'd start my show with Ozzy Osbourne, Crazy Train, One Hour. And then I mixed this disco song. And from there, you know, nobody, nobody calls me Brandon. I mean, literally nobody. My dad doesn't come my, my friends don't call me BT. I'm like, listen, if I knew you before radio, don't 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 call me that. I, it, not that I'm offended, but we just have I mean, I love it when fans. It's cool. It's but my buddies, my boys, you knew me in grammar school. You knew me in high school. It was always B or, or other nicknames. But, you know, my dad calls me B. My mom calls me B. My sister calls me B. 
My mom, my, my wife, when she's not pissed at me, and luckily she just calls me anything. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so th that's the origin of it. And then when I came to New York, I came back home, you know, everybody just called me that. I don't even know if they were aware of that. That's what everybody called me in Detroit. It's just, you know, I think that certain people are kind of give off this vibe of a, a nickname-ish kind of personality. And I, I guess I'm that kind of guy. So I love it. It's a badge of honor and it's, uh, it's a cool thing. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, it absolutely suits you. Obviously being from Brooklyn, uh, you talk about your style before, obviously you got that elements of that New York Brooklyn attitude in you and what you do. So uh, very, very easy to see. Uh, so Nick and I, we do our style of sports and lifestyle, right? Yeah. Uh, so I have to ask you now that you're a family, man, obviously your schedule is really, really tough. Uh, last couple of months, obviously with everything going on in the world, you've been, you know, mostly at home. Uh, you still doing your pushups in the morning? You know, how are you getting your exercise in? I am. You know, it's funny. It's a true story, man. I was, uh, you know, I've always been pretty, I don't want to say health conscious because, you know, I eat for the most part what I want to eat. And if I'm going to have a good time, I have no problem throwing back a couple of pops, having a cigar. Like I, I live my life. You know, I'm not one of these health conscious freaks who, who doesn't enjoy life. I do, but I'm also very aware of, you know, of not only looking the parts because you're on TV, you want to look right, but you want to feel, I play golf, not well, but I play golf and I want to be out there. I want to feel like an athlete, you know, um, my little guy and, and eventually my daughter, but my little guy's five. I want him to know, you know, not only what daddy used to do, but daddy could get my guy. You want to play wiffle ball. I'm going to smash this over the fence. Like it, that, that's important to me. The funny thing is I was doing the push-ups. Like, you know, I'd wake up and I would do 50 and Tiki jokes about this in the studio during commercial breaks. I would just drop down and do 40. And he's like, you're a maniac. And meanwhile, he's doing like these planks. I'm like, well, you're making fun of me doing pushups. You're doing planks, dude. Um, but I, I wound up I was at the gym about right at the end of the right before the pandemic hit. And I was doing um, dumbbell presses and I probably had. No, 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 I'm sorry. I was on the flat bench and I had a, I think it was 225. I don't go much more than that. There's no need to. Uh, and, and, and I was, and I was pushing it a little bit in terms of the amount of reps, blah, blah, blah. And I felt, and I heard something rip. I'm like, holy gee, I mean, come on. Because between the injuries I've had, I had Tommy John surgery in college with my arm, my throwing arm. I had back surgery a couple of years ago. I ruptured my Achilles in 2006 playing pickup hoops. I mean, I'm, I'm a calamity. Uh, it's, a, it's a minor miracle that I, that I still, not that I look great, but that I don't look like a house or like a decrepit old man. It, I attribute that to pride. But what I did, I'll never forget this. I'm walking out of my house. This was, this was the Sunday after the Big East tournament was canceled. And this is when, you know, our pandemic is here. NBA canceled. It's, we're, we've got some problems. And I'm walking out of my house on a Sunday morning, about 11 o'clock in the morning. My wife goes, where are you going? I'm going to the gym. Where do you think I'm going? She goes, no, you're not. I said, oh, Jesus. I said, here we go. Like, this is where I knew. All right. Not that I was naive to it. Not that I wasn't um, concerned. I, I was. I mean, the pandemic, of course, my antennas were up. But I figured I'd go and I would just use the equipment, you know, clean my hands. She's like, you're not going there. and bringing it back home. I said, all right, daddy's got to get creative here. So I, I have a, a, a punching bag. I've, I've got a speed bag already set up. I went out and I got some battle ropes. I got like a 20 pound medicine ball just to do some stuff. I've got a golf club, like a golf training tool down there. Since then I've added some dumbbells and a flat. 
So I've kind of built out what was our storage room. You know, I've got an elliptical just to do some stuff and stay sane because, you know, yeah, you want to look the part, but you also want to keep the mind flowing. And, and I noticed that there's a direct correlation when I'm feeling good mentally, when I'm feeling good physically, uh, it usually portends good things for me on air. So I try to marry that dynamic and, uh, you know, like everybody, I've, you, you got to find a way to still work out if you want. So that's the way I found a way to work out. So you mentioned golf. Were you able to golf at all during this summer? Who's the best golfer at Intercom and who is the most fun to play with? I'd imagine Joe B would be a blast to play. To play I played with Joe, uh, Joe. I love Joe. I played Joe with golf a few times right before back surgery. Funny thing is, Joe, and I, I used to go on with Joe and Evan one, you know, more than occasionally, just kind of chop it up with those guys. And every time we, I'd come on, Joe would say, oh, bro, bro, you're hitting bombs, bro. And because I played with him, when I first played with him, this was like way before my back issue. And I hit, and I stepped on a couple of good, Joe's also older, not, you know, he's, he's not a bad golfer, but he's not hitting the ball that long. So he would always overstate, you know, like I had this amazing, like I'm Dustin Johnson. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, stop. I mean, so that was probably, this was even when I was a 1050, I think I played around a round of golf with him. But since that point, I wound up, Hurting my back. I'm a lefty golfer, lefty baseball player. Didn't play golf until after college. It just didn't do that in Brooklyn. Um, so when I first picked up a golf club after college, play lefty because that's what I'm used to. And I stuck with it. High 80s, the occasional mid 80s can hit it well. When I caught it in the middle of the club phase, can putt and chip a little bit, could easily blow up and shoot a 97, but was getting okay, right? Was enjoying the game. Hurt my back. And didn't play for five years. Wound up moving to San Francisco to do afternoon drive at the at the FM station. And I came back and I tried to play right-handed <laughs> because the way my back was set, the, the vertebrae that were giving me issues, the 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 pinched nerves and, and the compression of the vertebrae. I said, you know what? I don't know if it hurts when I swing lefty based on the tilt and the stacking. Maybe I'll try to play righty and invert it. And I sucked and it didn't hurt as much, but I tried for two years to play righty and it was emasculating. I remember one time I'm at Chris Canty's outing and uh, I think I started on like the fifth tee and I had only been playing righty for about a year, only played about seven or eight rounds, but was going to the range and was committed. I mean, that's one thing about me. I might not get it, but but I'm a grinder. I'm, I'm, I've got a work ethic, right? I don't want to embarrass myself with anything. So... Uh, I go out there and the first swing that I took, I think we were like on the fourth or the fifth hole. This is a true story. I hit the, the, the divot that I hit with my driver, right? Went further than the ball. <laughs> I'm like, this is just disgraceful. And, uh, you know, eventually I kind of came to the realization that I suck righty. And I'm like, I, I got to go back left. Anyway, the point being when Joe, Joe, Joe has this, this, this vision of me pre-back issue, a little younger, you know, striping a few. And I'm like, Joe, that, that's not me. But I, I did play a lot. I joined a country club for the first time. And uh, I played probably, I played a lot this year, probably 20 something, maybe maybe 30. Uh, would go to, yeah, would go to the range a lot. I had one eagle, uh, you know, lost a million balls, yeah, broke a hundred most times. Uh, a couple of times I didn't, to be honest, usually in that 94, 90, it's just, to me, it's a, uh, it's a great, you know, it's a great, uh, template for life. The thing that I love about golf 
And listen, I'm not going to go out there and play softball, or which would be boring. I can't play baseball based. I mean, I guess I could, but based on the Tommy John and the Achilles. So, but I've got to challenge myself. That's, that's what, that's how I'm wired. If I'm sitting around and I have, that I have no direction, I get stale and I, and I don't like that. So to me, golf incorporates everything you need, man versus man. Obviously you could play somebody, <clears throat> excuse me, man versus self where the challenge of the struggle from within, which is my biggest issue with golf, and then man versus nature, all the elements, the wind, the rain, a bad lie, a bad, oh, look, oh, a little sand pebble. Uh, and that ball's rolling right in the green, right in a hole on a putt, but somebody the previous hole busted out of the sand and there's a sand pebble and it redirects my ball. You got to learn how to deal with it. I'm up against the tree. All right, I mean, what do you do? Do you kick it out when no one's looking or do you try to hit the shot? You try to hit the shot. Um, so it's, it's just a great unwinder for me. And um, I'm not very good, but man, I love the game. I absolutely love trying to get better. And, uh, you know, I believe in my heart that eventually I will. And if I don't, <laughs> it's, it's going to be disappointing, but you know, I'm, I'll never quit. Next time you see Joe break out the green jacket, let him know who Dustin Johnson really is. So oh my it's, God. It's a great story yeah. there. <laughs> definitely not me and definitely not Joe. <laughs> Yeah, we had uh, Jerry Recco on a few weeks ago. He said Boomer is, is the best uh, employee golfer. So I wonder, wonder if, if you ever have an intercom tournament there. Well, you know what it is? We don't because the, – the, the, and that, that's one of the things that, that I wish was a little different, quite frankly. I love the show, and I love the, the national space, and I love working with Tiki. But when you do a national show – don't get me wrong. I see all those guys from FAN, or at least I did, I did when I was in the studio and eventually we'll be back. Um, but the, the synergy in terms of doing things like that, like organizing a golf, like we did that locally at 1050, right? We did that in Detroit nationally is it's, it's obviously a little tougher to do that because there's, there's, you know, listeners and sponsors dotted all over the country and to do something would be exorbitant in terms of price. You got to fly people in, the insurance, the, the it, it's just, it's not cost effective. Right. So, you know, really, and, and truth of the matter is, I like to play golf with, not that I'm, you know, averse to playing with people that I work with. I have, obviously. But when I play golf, you know, I want to escape, uh, you know, four and a half hours. I want to have a couple of drinks. Uh, not that I'm out there getting smashed. I'm, I am trying to play golf, but I'll, I'll have a couple. Um, you know, I want to get away from the rigors and the pressures of my business. I don't want to talk shop. You know, I want to laugh. I want to be with guys that, that know me for a long time, whether it's college buddies or high school buddies. And, you know, there's no pretense. There's no BS. There's no talking about work. There's just a lot of laughing, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, a, a lot of references to things in the past. And that's who I like. And of course, you know, I like to tee it up with my dad once in a while, but that's, that's who I like to play golf with. You know, that that's my comfort zone. And uh, that's generally what I do. Yeah, you mentioned flying people in. Wow. Just thinking about Jim Rome coming no. across the country to, to no. play golf. <laughs> it's not <laughs> practical. It's I not practical. It's, no way. it's so, not practical. So, you know, you've mentioned it a few times here. Uh, obviously, you make the jump from Detroit back home pretty early on in your career. You're right. You're right there. ESPN, New York. And yeah, I was still in my, I was still in my 20s at ESPN. Yep. Yeah. And to me, this is a, a partnership that was one of the best shows in New York at the time. You, you and Jody Mack, yeah. chemistry. I know a few years ago, you guys, I think, did a fill-in show together on, on WFN, which was really yeah. cool. Uh, Jody yeah. Mack, 
one of the one of the best in the industry. Um, you know, as an outsider looking in, doesn't get the, the credit he deserves. But what was that like working with him? I know you uh, you guys led into Stephen A. Smith for a while, and uh, you got a nice partnership with him. You guys just had some you know crossover stuff. But oh, yeah. how, how was that experience? Like you know, you're there for a few years back in New York, talking yep. about your teams. Didn't get much better than that at, at that was- point in your career. It was pretty awesome. I'm not going to lie to you. The only regret, and there's, it's, it's not a personal regret, it's more of a situational regret, is that when I was there, I mean, the, the, the gap between WFAN and us was, was seemingly insurmountable, not because of the talent. Yeah, granted, FAN had a nice lineup for sure, but we had no signal. I mean, you couldn't hear us in half the play. You just couldn't hear us, man. And we had a lot of talent and we had a lot of moments that quite frankly, a good part of New York and New Jersey and Connecticut just didn't get to hear there. You know, you couldn't stream it on radio.com. You know, you, you, you didn't have an app on your, you had to listen, you had to listen to the radio. And, you know, when you're driving out to Connecticut or you're driving out East to Long Island and, you know, oh, wow, let me, let me see what Jody Mack and BT are saying. Let me see what, uh, what, let me see what BT and Stephen A are saying. Let me see what the Michael K show, show is doing right now. Let me hear if LeGrec is going to do a rant. Well, I mean, you could be mid-show and you're, you're on the LIE and you can't hear it. <laughs> and, and it was really, really frustrating because we had good vision. We had, I mean, listen, some of the talent's still there. We had talent. We had passion. I think we had balls. To be honest with you, we had balls. Like we just, I mean, the guys that were on the air, we just, not everybody, not not everybody, but most of the people that were on the air just came on and said whatever we wanted to say. Now, from my point of view, I was pretty much at the forefront of that. And that's one of the only issues that I had with the ESPN because they are still Disney. So a couple of times they're like, oh, all right, listen, you know, I, I love the passion, but, you know, let's dial it down a notch. And I'm like, and I'd always kind of battle them. You're young and you think that you know it all. And of course I didn't, but it was, uh, it really was. It was, as much as I lament a few things, it was a great point in my career. It opened up the door. You know, I wound up doing a little TV, quite frankly. Stephen brought me on his show, quite frankly. I did cold pizza a bunch. I went on outside the lines. I mean, these are all things I watched. I mean, you know, I didn't really think that I would, when you start this journey, you have aspirations um, and I had high ones, but, you know, it seems so on many levels unattainable to like, you know, here's a kid who grew up in, in Marine Park, Brooklyn, who went to, you know, grammar school in Brooklyn, high school in Manhattan and has this grand vision of what he wants his broadcast dream to become. And then it kind of becomes that, you know, locally. And it's like, wow, you, 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 you don't take that for granted. And I, I was extremely protective of, of my airspace. Um, you know, there were a couple of times and I won't mention who I was going up against, but there were a couple of times where despite the, the, the horrendous, you know, uh, reach of our station, uh, you know, a couple of times we're like, we get the ratings and we're like, wow, this, we saw some heavy growth here. Like we are cutting into the lead. It's people that starting to take notice, but I, I do look back and you know, how do I say this the right way? Uh, like if I started on ESPN a couple of years ago, I really truly believe in all my heart I'd have one of the most popular, if not the most popular show in New York City. I, I, I believe that. Like if I came with the same energy and the same edge and had the same contacts, because you got to remember, you know, even though we didn't have a good signal, 
Donnie Walsh was on my show all the time. I mean, I had a relationship with Donnie. Well, I was embedded, you know, I was in the garden. Like you wanted to hear Knicks, you came to me. And I'm not saying that there weren't other people. You know, Alan Hahn, who was a writer and, and is now doing good things. And I love Alan, Alan's buddy. And I'm happy for him to bar the new show. Uh, there were a few guys in the city that really knew and cared about the Knicks. And a lot of people, when the Knicks sucked, they just kind of, they stopped talking about the Knicks. I went deeper and I went, I went harder and I became more aggressive. You know, I had Isaiah on the show a lot. As I said, Donnie was on the show. When, the night that Danilo Gallinari was drafted, who did the first interview with him? I did. They brought him up to my studio because, you know, my old 1050 studio was at Two Penn Plaza. And I had a great rapport with the Knicks. I, I think it was, that wasn't Sopranowitz. It was the assistant PR that night person who brought him. I was on the air. I was doing a draft show. Brought him right up the elevator, right into my, He was wearing a suit that he was wearing on draft night. And he sits down. It's on YouTube. You can find it. So, you know, all these things that I was doing, um, there was a generation, and not to overstate what I was, I'm not trying to connect that, those dots. I'm not trying to paint that picture because K's ratings are awesome. Uh, COVID-19 is still around, but that doesn't mean the Army ROTC programs are not there for you. Earn scholarships for school and pursue the career you want. The leadership developing Army ROTC classes will give any full-time student the focus and resources that can open doors down the road. Start sharpening the skills that will carve out your future today. Learn how at GoArmy.com ROTC. Army ROTC, now accepting college scholarship applications. Visit GoArmy.com slash money for college. COVID-19 is still around, but that doesn't mean the Army ROTC programs are not there for you. Earn scholarships for school and pursue the career you want. The leadership developing Army ROTC classes will give any full-time student the focus and resources that can open doors down the road. Start sharpening the skills that will carve out your future today. Learn how at GoArmy.com ROTC. Army ROTC, now accepting college scholarship applications. Visit GoArmy.com slash money for college. Carton's back, and I, I don't know Craig very well, but I think he's a great radio talent. He's so good at what he does. Boomer and Geo are terrific. You know, uh, I did shoot Craig a, a, a welcome back text. You know, he got back to me. Again, not very deep, not more surface stuff, but and even when he got in trouble, I shot him a text because, you know, he's a family man. He's got family. And, you know, I said, good luck with everything, man. And he even very short, but he responded then. There's a lot of talented people in, in New York right now is, is my point. I don't want this to come across as um, unnecessarily or overly boisterous or out of touch. But the people who listened to me then, they knew what I was doing was good. And, and I, that's, I carry that with me because I know that that was the case. Yeah, I mean, New York is by far the number one media market in the world. Uh, I think there are, are very few people, maybe on one hand, maybe on two hands, who really truthfully understand the dynamic of what that, I, I wouldn't even say it's kind of like a war, but understand what the whole fan versus ESPN and trying to carve your own little you know niche in, in the New York market. Uh, obviously, you have colleagues from both sides you're very 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 close with uh personally speaking would you would you have said there was like a war mentality between you guys like you guys were ready for battle every time you were going out there ready to produce the show yep yep it's a, that's a great question you know and <laughs> this is gonna sound absolutely ridiculous uh but i'll share it i don't do it anymore i, I found a different way to motivate myself but 
you guys are younger, but uh, please tell me you've seen the Rockies. I mean, please. Of course. Oh, okay. Watch a fair Rocky, BT. My favorite one <laughs> is is probably four. It's got to be. Because of the end of the Cold War. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because of the soundtrack. Um, I hate that Apollo got killed. I, that changed the whole dynamic, but it was poignant. Um, I, I mean, I loved them all, quite frankly. I, I really, really liked three because you had Rocky, you know, coming into the fame and the glory and the money and then losing it. Um, whatever. As the point is, there was a scene in, in, in the, I guess it would be, let me see. It was, was it the eye of the tiger when he's, yeah, the, the eye of the tiger montage. Yeah. Uh, when he's, when he goes to LA and he trains with Apollo to get ready for the rematch with Creed. Right. Uh, pardon me with, with, um, not with, not, not for the rematch with Creed for the rematch with, um, Mr. Geez, T. with Mr. T. Yeah. Clubber Lang. That's what I was trying to call. Obviously I know oh, it's wow. Clubber Lang and he's in his, uh, I mean, and he goes back to like, he's the only white guy in the gym. Like he's got to find his speed. He's got to learn. He's got to recapture what elevated him, that grit. And, and his buddy Apollo knows that. So he takes him to the gym in LA where he grew up. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's tough. I mean, it's, it's, in, it's in, it's in the hood. It's, it's, you know, you, if you're not tough, you're not getting out of there. And there's this one scene and Rocky is at, he, I think he's in the bathroom and he's like, and he, he actually hits the mirror. Right. And he's like, like, he's just, like, he's getting ready for the fight. He's visualizing. <laughs> I used to do that before I would do a radio show for at least five years. Like I would go into the bathroom and I would look in the mirror and I wouldn't talk to myself like a crazy person, but I would just, I would say to your question, was it a war mentality? It was a war mentality. Now the difference was it wasn't a war mentality for WFAN, nor did it need to be because they were beating the shit out of us. Like they were like, it wasn't even close. If I was them, I wouldn't even, you don't even acknowledge us, which was the smart thing to do. Right. But from our, at least I can only speak for myself, from my point of view, uh, I think my teammates thought this, but again, I, I think I'm maybe a little uniquely wired. So I probably took it to an extreme. I looked at it as personal, like whomever was on the air opposite me. And there were times when it was Joe and Evan. There were times when it was Steve Summers. I don't care who it was. In my opinion, in my heart, in my mind, my show was better. And my show that, I don't know, whatever the ratings spit out, you know, people, you get these pamphlets. And back in the day, it was a very tough measurement. It was a, a written thing. Mm -hmm. And how a lot of, now it's, it's mostly, it's digital now, which still isn't perfect. But back in the day, you get something from Arbitron and you would listen. And you, a lot of people would just, like, they would have, they would, they would say, okay, I wake up and I listen to Don Imus, right? I listen to Imus in the morning. And then they would write, this is true. They would draw an arrow from, you know, six o'clock in the morning through the whole page, basically signifying that they listened to WFAN the entire day and WFAN would get credit for that ratings point. And then, of course, extrapolate it out based on it, whatever there, there's a, I don't want to bore you with that. But the point being is that when stuff like that happens, yeah, you might be listening to to Imus and, and certainly Mike and Chris and Mike and the Mad Dog, the legends, pioneers, it is the best, right? But, you know, if you checked in on my show and you loved it, you're like, man, this young guy, this, this guy's got balls and this guy knows his stuff. More importantly, he's got some connections. He's passionate. He's got New York sensibility. But if that arrow goes down, <laughs> I'm not getting credit for the show. 
You know what I mean? So, so I, I did look at it as uh, almost like a boxing match, man. Like I, I really took it personally that when I went on the air, I was going to empty the chamber. My head was going to hurt from talking loud and from yelling when I had to and from, from thinking and from plotting at like, I, I really, it was a physical and it still is. It will always be a physical and an emotional investment for me when I get on the air, because it is the ultimate sign of disrespect. And again, I'm not going to start naming names, but too many people now in our business, and this is more on the decision makers rather than the talent. They, they take somebody who's pretty good on TV and they throw them on the radio and they think that they're going to be good. And that's just not the way it works, man. Like the, to, to create a vivid imagery through words without, you know, all these fancy graphics and this beautiful studio, you know, it's hard. It, 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 is, it, is, it is a developed and learned talent. Now, a lot of that is inherent, which is why I think Craig Carton really is, is great at what he does. Like that is a natural ability to engage, to piss you off, to make you think, to make you laugh. Not easy. Uh, he, that's a skill set that not everybody has. Um, but yeah, you better believe I took it personally because um, you get one shot to have a career. Yeah, and no, I started no, no doubt about it. You got to be a fighter there. Rocky Five was horrible, but Balboa was pretty no, good. No, I disagree. You like, you like Rocky Five? You're a big Tommy Gun fan? I, yeah, my ring's outside. I mean, listen, <laughs> everybody, and I get it, everybody denigrates Rocky Five. Eh, a little corny, all right, a little cheesy. You got the priest at the end, you know, throwing him prayers, Hail Marys, and, and our fathers from the train tracks, basically. Uh, but the street fight between Tommy Gunn and Rocky, to me, you know, yeah. he's been far. He's, hey, Rocky's firing back cigarettes at this point. He's kind of lost his will to, he's lost his way. He has no money. He's back to his original roots. He's, he's, he's with Paulie in the bar. And Tommy Gunn, this young upstart, you know, who's jacked who comes into the bar trying to disrespect him on his turf. Nah, this can't happen. My ring's outside. So Rocky goes out, tunes him up a little bit. I, I, I you know, I, you know, hit me and I'll sue, you know, and then he, boom, sue me for what? Like to me, again, granted, I know I'm in the minority on Rocky five, but I actually liked it. I did. I think if Stallone's listening for Creed three, we got to get Creed in studio with Tiki and Tierney in the movie. That'd be an amazing scene. Oh God, I'd love to do that. I would love to do that. Yeah, I mean, listen, I've done, I've had fun with Discovery. Put me in a movie, I'm game. There you go. So, you know, back to your time in New York, you, you know, you mentioned you did Outside the Lines and then you're on TV, The Wheelhouse, great show on SNY. Very much missed you, Custer, and of course, Scott Farrell, which was, yep. he was always in his jerseys. You were dressed to the nines, so it was quite the dynamic. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But you know, a lot, you had a lot of, a lot of fun there. I think you also did the Red Storm report uh, on TV with SNY, but what was it like, uh, you know, making your transition onto TV? Did you ever think you're going to be doing TV work or are you always in the radio mindset heading into You know, it's funny. I, it's, it's another very good question. I was always uh, to start in the radio mindset because that's, you know, I remember there were summers where I was working construction uh, one summer. I had a bunch of different jobs, but this one job in particular during the summer in college, um, cause I was still playing baseball, obviously. So I had 50 or 60 summer games. So I needed some flexibility and, you know, cause I worked at Prudential, I worked at, you know, IRA departments on wall street. 
you know, whatever. I, I did a bunch of different things during the summer, but this one particular summer, it was an important summer for me and I just needed the flexibility. So I was, I was doing construction and I listened to the radio every day. I'm up there with the jackhammer. We were up in East Harlem, Spanish Harlem, and I was working on a roof and I had a demo this whole day. It was great. You know, shirts off, getting the sun. I've got the music on. I've got an FAN on. And uh, I, I was, you know, just immersed in the spoken word. I never thought about, again, this is in the, in the mid-90s. I didn't think about TV because the outlet SNY wasn't there. The Yes Network wasn't there. I don't even know. Maybe ESPN2. Yeah, probably. But uh, probably ESPN News. I don't even, uh, maybe ESPN2 was. But all the regional, you know, Nesson, none of these regional networks were out there yet. CBS Sports Network obviously was decades away from being, uh, from being, excuse me, being born. So it was always radio until I was in Detroit was the first time I was on WJBK, which is their Fox affiliate. And I'm doing middays and, you know, I'm carving out, doing very well in the ratings, um, carving out a little niche out there. Again, good rapport with Rick Carlisle at every, I'm single. I'm at every, so I could do it at every, every Pistons game. So 41 games at the Palace, going to the bars after it, like really, really immersed in the Detroit scene. And I met, I met a bunch of the guy, one of the sports anchors, Woody. I think, I think he's still there. Woody, a great dude. He was, uh, he's like, oh, you got to come on my Friday night show. They had like a Friday night round table kind of thing. I'm like, yeah, I'll come on. So I wish I don't have a VHS tape. I wish I, I did. I wish I had this on tape. I was terrible. Uh, it, because no matter what you think about the dynamic of TV, how easy it may or may not be in your mind, right? You know, when, when you're in front of a camera, unlike when you're doing a radio show, when you're doing a radio show, all you really, all you care about is what you say, you know, constructing, you know, poignant thoughts and structuring the show. When you're on TV, you're aware of your body, how, like, how am I sitting? Um, is my tie right? I'm, of course I was dressed up, but not even a good, it was like a, it was like a transition suit. It was, yeah, I wasn't making a lot of money. I'm like, I, I would just love to see it for giggles. I had, I had hair, but it was a horrendous style. I'm like, this is, it would have been a disaster. But I, I didn't feel particularly comfortable, which is interesting because now I'm in front of a camera every time I'm in my home office. I'm staring at the camera fatigue and tear. I don't even I don't even think that it's there. You know, it's amazing. You just get used to it. But I don't think I was very good to start on TV uh, where radio was much more natural. But as I started getting reps today, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all the entertainment you love without the hassle. Direct TV Stream brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before, which means you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. And the best part? There's no annual contract. So stop waiting and get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. And started going to do things, um, my, my scope and prism widened and i'll tell you a funny story so i'm a guest on cold pizza probably five or six times right and, and I, at this point I'm, I'm a little comfortable i'm on the couch uh kit was one of the uh i don't know if you remember kit um i oh got another uh two other women really cool i'm forgetting their names but really cool right and i'm having i'm just chilling on the couch yeah talking about andy pettit hgh that that i believe was one of the segments and um, Jay Crawford, who was, who was one of the hosts, did, I love Jay, but Jay was taken off for a week, right? They're like, hey, I get a call from their producer. They call my agent. Long story short, they said, you know, Jay's out. You've done a really good job as a guest. Would you be amenable to coming into co-hosting? I said, sure, 
right? And then I'm like, Jesus Christ, what, what did I get myself into here? And I'll never forget, it was, uh, it was Valentine's Day. And uh, whatever year this was, I want to say 04, sounds about right. Maybe five. I think it was, I think it was four. Sunday night, Valentine's night. I'm laying in bed and I'm like nervous. I'm like, dude, what did you do? I've got a, a wake up call at like 3.30 in the morning. I'm not ready for this to host. I've never read off a prompter in my life. I have no idea what I'm doing. So it basically is, is this, is the, is the, I don't know what I'm doing. So they're like, all right, you're going to do this, this, that. All right, good. Show starts. And one of my, the first alone segment I had, I was interviewed, it was the anniversary of, of Hoosiers, like real life Hoosiers. So I'm interviewing one of the guys on Hickory's team, right? Now, during the commercial break, I'm, I'm kind of goofing around and, you know, I'm having, I'm, I'm talking to the can, having fun, right? Now it's like, hey, I'm an hour into the, hey, this is easy, this TV stuff. I can do this with my eyes shut. They're like, all right, Tierney, on the stage, and uh, on the stairs. And the goal was to, you know, have a jib camera, which is an overhead camera, swing down. And I'm sitting on these stairs and they're going to pan in on me sitting on the stairs interviewing this, this guy who played for Hickory, right? The problem was because I was not goofing off, but I was talking during the whole break, camera people, hosts, whatever. I forgot my script, which is fine because I have a teleprompter. Teleprompter goes out. Teleprompter goes out. Now, if it was like, I remember that week I, I interviewed Greg Nettles from the Yankees. That's fine. Like, oh, Greg, you played with Goose, you played with Lou Pinella, Billy Martin, you won the championship set. Like, I can... I don't need a script to talk to Greg Nettles, you know, even though I was young when he played, I do kind of need a script to reference the historical data points of this Hickory team. Even though I saw the movie 30 times is one of my favorites, dude, it, this segment took, I was on the air for about eight minutes. It felt like eight <laughs> hours. It was unnerving. And I learned a lesson. Number one, you better always have your script. And number two, uh, probably best a minute or so before you come back, get in place. Stop the conversation. So it was a teachable moment. I wound up having fun. And then I wound up, you know, getting pretty immersed in the, in the TV world. And, and The Wheelhouse, I love that show. I tell you, that was a really cool creation. Um, I, I'm still, I just wish Brian a happy, B. Custer a happy birthday. Yesterday was his birthday, ironically. Uh, shout out to him. He's battled cancer. He's, you know, he is as tough as nails. So it's no surprise that he's, that he's kicked cancer's ass. I love Scotty. Uh, it's been a little bit since I texted Scotty, but not that long. Like Scotty and I, I can text him right now. He'll get back to me. I loved working with Scotty. It was unpredictable. And that was all, that was to me, you know what I loved about that show? To me, that was, all right, I might have a really weak radio signal, but this is my chance to step on a different stage Oh, you want to put, and this was, again, my mindset, not to sound like an arrogant jerk, but this was, my, oh, Scotty's out. Oh, you want to put somebody on from WFAN? You want me, they, oh, let's go. That's what I'm saying. Bring them on. Because in my mind, I know who's going to win this segment. Now, winning the segment is, is probably the wrong way to look at it. I mean, it is, it's personal, but it's not. Um, but I embraced every aspect. I did it for, I, I was on the wheelhouse for, I think five, five, at least five years. And the only reason I left is because I took the drive in San Francisco. Like I left on my own volition. And, you know, they, there were some changes. Like Custer moved on and on his own will, did some other things, right? And then, but they kept changing the partner. Like they, at one point, and, you know, I didn't love the decision quite, for, but they got rid of uh, Scotty. Then they brought in Andy Gresh, who I really liked. And they, they got rid of Gresh. 
Then they brought in uh, Moose, and I had some good battles with Moose. And I like Moose to this day. Um, you know, maybe a few other people they rolled in, whatever. But it, like in my like that was my show. I, I mean, certainly at that point with Custer gone and with Scotty gone, that was my you know, that was my baby. And um, it was great. It was a lot of fun. We had a lot of great, like David Wright would come on and I mean, you know, Jerry Manuel would come. Like it was just the, the, the outlet and the, you know, I would do some hits from the garden, but I was doing the Knicks stuff still. The, the connection to the, to the soul of the New York sports fan, for me, that was a lot of fun. And I, uh, I cherished my time doing that show. It was cool. Yeah, I think the early days of SNY, you and Joe, definitely the faces of that. The afternoon programming, and then of course Carlin and Shine. It was their yep. network, and now now it's Mark Malusis's network. You see this guy all yep. over S and Y all the time. Him and Salicata, the the two main analysts yep. over there as yep. well. Yeah, I've seen them doing their baseball thing. I don't watch it as much. I mean, I watch Met games, but you know, the one thing that you don't that I don't do as much is you know watch these. Show. Like I watch first take. I've actually, I've got it on in my office now. The volume down. Steven's my boy. You know that. Uh, plus, I just think it's a good show. But, you know, when you're on the air for three hours a day, as I am every day, and you're prepping and you're re and especially now with kids, I I'm not going to sit. I, I don't want to say I'm, gonna, I'm not going to waste time watching other shows because there's certainly merit in, in not all these. Some shows stink, but some shows are good. Uh, but I'd rather just, you know, go in the basement, throw batting practice, go in the backyard, do something, you know, hang out with my daughter. Um, so I, I, I don't watch, you know, the, like, whether it's whatever the shows are on, you know, as a new baseball night, I think in New York baseball night, you know, I'll flip through and I'll see, and I'll say, I'm hey, Good job. Sal. Good job. But I'm just watching games at this point. Some studio, I will watch like Charles and Shaq and Kenny on, on TNT. That's different. Um, a couple of studio shows here and there, but you know, I think I, what you find is, you know, what does it take? Because you there's a transition point. When you enter the business, you think you have to watch everything. And that's not true. You've got to be well-versed in everything. And you've got to be able to um, weigh in with an opinion on everything. But you, you do learn eventually what's important and what's not. And, you know, I'll give an example. Like, so Sunday night, I thought the Chiefs were going to blow out the Broncos. They didn't. And it's a four-quarter game. I'm going to watch it. If the score was 35 to seven, I'm not watching the rest of the game. I uh, put something on with my wife and I've been watching football for 10 hours today. You know what? This game's over. It's a wrap. Broncos stink. Kansas City's great. I'm not watching it. And, and I think you need to do that on occasion just to get a little separation and remain whole and not be, you know, too one-sided in terms of what you watch and, and what you do. So, uh, you know, I respect everybody who, who has a day-to-day -day show because there is a grind attached to it. You know, but I'm, I'm selective in what I watch. Yeah, so you uh, you briefly mentioned it before, right, the Bay Area. You know, now it's time to touch on your time in the Bay Area. And sure. this goes along with what you're saying with how uh, maybe you need to not follow up on everything, maybe not to religiously watch everything, but to be well-versed on everything. So different stage for you, right? You're coming up on 10 years at ESPN. Dave Roberts tells you, all right, the Brooklyn guy, the guy who's one of the most popular – radio and New York media personalities. He's not needed here anymore. So you move out to the Bay Area after 10 years, right? And for you, I actually believe that this was a blessing in disguise for you because the time that you moved out there coincided with the time that there was an increased uh, popularity and rise in all three of those major teams. 
True. The Warriors were kind of on their way ascending. They had not yet reached that championship level that they would get to two or three years later, but they were on the rise. Yep. Uh, 49ers had made the, the Super Bowl, I believe, a year or two right after you got there. Uh, and the Giants were in the midst of winning three championships in five years. So yep. Yep. the Bay Area, the California crowd is remarkably different from the people who follow up on their New York sports, right? Mm -hmm. We are, I mean, it's everybody everywhere is a bunch of maniacs, but California more so than anywhere in the world or anywhere in the country that I've been to, uh, incredibly laid back atmosphere, very open, uh, very, very different. Talk mm -hmm. about that transition for you uh, because it had to be a shell shock for you, right? Not only just moving 3,000 miles away yep. and, and having to, to get accustomed to all the different things that you had to in that area, uh, but tell us about how you would you deal with the people out there, how you would deal with the callers out there. Uh, mm -hmm. What was the hardest part of your transition out there? Uh, but that must have been an exciting time for you in your life. It was. I, first of all, just to take it back a step, I, I think the hardest part for me was wrapping my mind and my heart around leaving. That was hard. That was hard. And you know, I remember, um, I remember my last, I remember my last day, my last segment with Jody Mack. I remember it like it was yesterday, man. And I had I had crying on the air. You know, I had I had tears in my eyes. It was, it was, it was really, really hard because you never know if you're coming back. You know what you're leaving. I knew that I didn't deserve that. I knew it, but I also knew it's time to put on your big boy pants. It's uh, it's the business. And, you know, you were there for basically 10, almost 10 years, just about, you, you know, you're not going to cry. You're not going to make a scene as you go out the door. But I remember th that last segment, how many people came into the control room. And again, I'm not trying to, this is please, not like when Francesa retired the first time, the second time was ridiculous, but the first time, uh, I'm not trying to equate myself to a legend. Please don't misconstrue that. Anybody who's listening to this, that's not my point. But I do remember looking on through the glass, you know, my, my, my producer, John Winthrop, and uh, I think Ray Dinahan was running the board. There were like 30 people in there, man, like salespeople walking down. Uh, there was just a lot of people in the control room and they came in and like, they shook my, they're like, dude, can you curse on this thing? I don't even know. Is this, what is this? I Go mean, for it. <laughs> well, well, we're already it, at one shit. So well, I don't yeah, think well, no, but seriously, basically the message was, this is fucked up. <laughs> this is fucked up. And, and in my heart, I knew it. And it, 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 it was ripping me apart. And uh, I shook a lot of hands and I walked out of there and I just had tears in my eyes. I'm like, what the hell just happened, man? I went from, uh, you know, getting raises and, and getting hitting bonuses and almost 10 years and, you know, a prominent spot in the lineup to being kicked out, in my opinion, rather unceremoniously out the door. Now, to be fair, I was offered, I don't know why they would, I was, well, listen, we can, you can do weekend stuff, weekend stuff. What do you cry? There's no way of weekend stuff. You got your mind. There's no way in hell I'm coming back and doing weekend stuff. No. So it was kind of liberating in the sense that I remember I had just moved to Hoboken. I had just gotten engaged, right? No, I just got married. At that point, we were just married. 
Hey, Jen, we need to sell our home. Do you know a great agent? I do. We just sold with a local Redfin agent. It was awesome. And we paid a 1% listing fee because we bought our new home with Redfin, too. Wow, 1%. Are Redfin agents full service? Totally. Our Redfin agent did it all, and we sold for thousands more than the home next door. I'll check out Redfin today. 1% listing fee when purchasing with Redfin subject to minimums, terms, and conditions. Does not include buyer's agent commission. Learn more at Redfin.com or call 844-759-7732. Every day, thousands of hackers try to steal your crypto. But Arculus uses air-gapped technology by forming a protective barrier that insulates you from hackers and secures your crypto. Order yours at GetArculus.com. And we're, I'm in my Hoboken apartment, and I'm like, wow, this, this is odd, odd, oddly liberating. And because I'm like, okay, you know, you think you're pretty good on the air, you are just just beginning to hit your stride and, and maybe because you don't hit your prime as a broadcaster till later, because unlike an athlete, I think to be a great broadcaster. Yeah, you, you got a passion and, you know, wittiness, whatever. But you need life perspective. You just need that, whether it's being a father, whether it's having children, whether it's just going through the rigors of the business. The more that you experience in life, the better you're going to be on the air. You're just going to have more depth. Right. So I wouldn't say that I was entering my prime yet. I'm in my prime now, I believe. But then I knew that I was ascending. And I'm like, wow, it just doesn't add up. I'm, I'm a New York guy who gave my heart and soul to this place. And now I'm not, I don't have a job. But but I remember saying to myself, all right, if you think you're as good as you are, let's see if the phone rings. Let's see. And the phone rang twice. It rang from Jason Barrett, who I, who I never met, who was the PD in San Francisco, who was putting together an, all, an FM, all sports station, all right, going up against KNBR, which is equivalent to FAN. Another tough battle that I'm getting myself in. <laughs> I always take on these huge battles. I always go up against like the king. It's crazy. Uh, or, and also Philadelphia called. And Philadelphia was interested, WIP, was interested in me doing afternoon drive. And my fear about, and I, to be honest, initially, I was more um, attached to Philadelphia. Like, I'm like, mentally, I'm like, okay, it's not that far. I know Philly teams like the back of my hand. Mm. But then I thought, and even, I, I guess it was Chernoff and Chris Oliveiro, they said, listen, because they, they were running the scene back then. And those are the gentlemen who brought me to start CBS Sports Radio. I love them both. Chernoff's great. Oliveiro's the best at what he does. So is Chernoff. And I said, and Chernoff said, listen, uh, no, it was Oliveiro. I'm sorry. He said, if you take this, if, you know, if we do this, you could come back, you could do some weekend shows on WFAN. And you know, in hindsight, who knows? Maybe that would have been a great move if I'm doing that. You know, Mike and Chris or Mike retires. Maybe I'm, I don't know. Maybe I, I take over. I, yeah, you never know, right? Maybe not, but maybe. Um, my concern about that was, and I think it was good self-awareness during a tough time. I, I remember saying to myself and saying to my wife, you know, if I'm only 90 miles away, am I going to keep looking back at New York like with bitterness? Um, or am I going to be immersed in the Philly sports scene like I need to be to win and to do well? And I wasn't sure, quite frankly. I didn't, I didn't know if I was at that stage. I didn't know if I was capable of doing that. So once uh, I flew out, they flew me out to San Francisco by myself. And I met, you know, their boss, Jason Barrett. Hot stations, pretty nice operation here, even though it wasn't open. It wasn't up yet, but I knew the building. And I'm like, well, okay. Um, all right. I'm right by where the Giants play at that point, AT&T. It's called South of Market Soma. It's like they're Soho. Beautiful. I could get down with this, man. This is interesting. Cal, I could live for Cal. I could do some Cali living. 
And, and I came back, you know, my agent, you know, doing the business thing, business, the business added up. Uh, it's a multi-year deal. I thought the rate was fair, uh, more than I was making in New York, quite frankly. And um, I came back and my wife was open to it. I said, but you got to fly my wife out. She's a Texas girl. You got to fly her out. We have to see together if we, if we can do this. She, they flew both of us back out. She's like, if you're down, this, you know, this is your call, but I like it. I said, let's do it. And we got out there and, and I remember too, being in a taxi, this was tough, man. I thought it was tough leaving, you know, walking out of 1050 for the first, for the last time. It was tough being in that taxi, uh, you know, just going on. I remember just seeing the signs, you know, Bell Parkway, going to JFK. I'm like, I'm really, I'm really leaving here. Wow. And I was very quiet on the flight out there and we had corporate housing for about a month or so and have an apartment yet. And I remember we landed at, it was late, man. And we landed at SFO and we wanted, you know, the car took us to the corporate housing. It was like, it was almost midnight. So maybe a bar was open, but I just remember we had, you know, we're going to ship all our stuff later, our car, whatever, just had all our clothes. Right. And, and I remember getting out of the car with Jen and going into the corporate housing and it was really nice, <laughs> but it was, the street was so desolate, even though it was only midnight, like New York midnight, still popping. It was quiet. And I remember feeling a little, not depressed, but a little uneasy, like, man, did I do the right thing? Then I went to the station the next day and I met Barrett and I met my partner, ED, who played for the Niners. I'm like, I think I did the right thing. And, you know, what was awesome about it is that, first of all, without that, I don't know that I'd be as effective nationally as I am, or as, as, as well-versed, probably a better, diverse, you know, diverse skill set. Because you're right, the Giants won three championships. I, Andrew Luck was also at Stanford. You, you didn't mention that. Right. I went to a bunch of games in Palo Alto to see him play. Uh, I went to Cal to see them play Oregon, Chip Kelly, when they were number two in the country. So I had a reference point, you know, that I would not have ordinarily had. You know, I went to, uh, to you know, University of San Francisco, which is where Bill Russell played, which is where Bill Cartwright played, who was the third overall pick. Back, I guess that would have been 78, 78 or 79, but he was third overall pick. And I got to see things that I had read about. You know, I went to Candlestick many times before it was before it was imploded. And, you know, I went to Raider games. I went to the Coliseum. I went to A's games. I'm like, wow, these are, you know, I used to watch Mattingly against the A's and, you know, and then and Jeter. And now I'm here. It's crazy. Uh, it was it was an opener in my mind that that forced me to, to not change, but, you know, augment, augment and, and, and maybe extend the boundaries of, of how I attacked the show. I think what I learned early, well, I thought that they were, that they cared less about you can get it and you can just destroy you know not not that he deserves to be destroyed but if you have to although he's done a few things that are a little head scratching you know boom what are you doing with the bullpen you know you could you know what what would you back then jerry manual what, what happened with the bull like you could do an hour on the mets bullpen and why you brought in this guy versus why not bring in the other guy i didn't really think that that would work in san francisco but giant fans let me tell you something giant fans are not that different from there's a little less edge but they, not, not as much as you think. And Niner fans hadn't won since 90, what would that have been? What the hell year was that now? 
90 ED picked off Troy Aikman in the NFC championship game in 96. Yeah. They won Super Bowl 29, which was yep. the one. When they won Super Bowl 29. Yeah, exactly. When Dion was there for the one year. So you have a whole generation of Niner fans. You can tell me wine and cheese and, ah, oh, we're going to win. And we got Montana, Walsh, Jerry Rice, Roger Craig, Taylor. We're great. We're going to kill. But there were all these fans that had won nothing. So they were hungry. And Raider fans, Raider fans. Like I remember walking in, I met true story. Uh, Amy Trask, who I've, I've done a lot of TV with. I love Amy. She was still the executive, the, uh, the CEO, CEO, CEO of the Raiders at this point. Had her on my show a few times. She gave me Raider uh, tickets, great seats too, for the Jets game. It was the third game of the season. And this was kind of when the Jets, the defense lower, McFadden destroyed us that day. We got killed, right? And and I remember walking in and I'm like, okay, um, I can't wear a Jets jersey in the seat that Amy Trask, who runs the Raiders, gave me. That's just straight up disrespectful. I'm not going to do that. But I will wear my Jets gear in the parking lot, tilting a few back. I'm thinking having a little fun. Dude, the looks and the things that Raider fans – now, they didn't even know me. I was only there a month. Like, they didn't know it was the guy on the radio. They just thought it was – maybe they would have been nicer if they did. They just thought it was a, a like a, a straggler Jet fan – who's got the audacity to wear a jet shirt. And my wife, she goes, you got to take that shirt off. Like what people are saying when they're walking by you, you have to, now my old, because I used to go to jet games all the time. My old attitude was, if this was the, screw it, whatever, I'm keeping it. But looking around, you're saying, these guys aren't messing around. I, I know the reputation. I actually took it off and put it in my bag. Um, so it was, it was great. And it, it just, it enabled me, to, it, it made me better. It made me better, you know, interviewing Jim Harbaugh, trying to get a sense of, you know, who is this quirky guy? Uh, another time I'm at the Sharks playoff game. I'm doing a show with ED. Uh, Sharks are playing the Blues and we're at the uh, we're at the tank in San Jose. And I guess it was in between periods. We go out for a beer, whatever it is. And, and who's there? There's Joe Staley. And Alex, frankly, I'm, I'm kind of here. I thought Kaepernick deserved to play. Alex with checking down too much. Um, I just didn't see any down. Like the, they had some weapons. They had, they had some. They had Moss. They had some vertical weapons, and I didn't think they were using them properly. So I was saying that on the air. And Joe, I, and I, I didn't recognize Joe Staley at first. And I see this big monster. I'm talking to ED because obviously they know each other. Eyeballing me. I think my producer was smoking a cigarette, so we were kind of off to the side. And I see this, this big, this, this meathead, this, this monster looking at me, like not waving his, uh -huh, yeah. I could just see him like his blood's like, oh, that's that guy. That's that guy. So thankfully ED kind of brokered a conversation between myself and Alex Smith. True story outside of the hockey arena, Alex and I go for 20 foot walk. And he says, uh, he says, man, why are you always busting my job? Why are you always, why are you always, you know, so so harsh on me. I said, listen, first of all, don't take it personally. This is just, this is how, this is what, this is, I'm from the, this is me. I, you know, it's not personal. I said, if you really listen to what I say, you hopefully will hear how I always, you know, credit your toughness and uh, your resilience after a really rough start with the Niners and how you've won games. But it, I'm just, I'm critiquing something that I see in a football sense, man. And that's what I believe. And I'm not going to stop saying it. Hopefully you don't take offense to it. It's not personal. Shook his hand. All good. Right. So, it, it, you know, it was it, it, you, you have a chance maybe there to get a little closer to athletes, even Bruce Bochy. 
I remember one day I'm at AT&T and Brandon Belt was a guy who hit like 350, first baseman, obviously, like 350 in the minors. Look at, look at Brandon Belt's minor league stats sometime. And he had just been called up. I'm like, this guy's six foot five. He's got this vicious swing. He could pick it. I'm saying on the air, Brandon Belt's going to be good. Like this guy is going to be a player. He's going to be a three hitter for the next 10 years, right? And he's hitting like 230 and it's like May. And I asked Bochi, I'm on the field before a game because I lived right around the corner. So I'd go to the stadium all the time. I said, Skip, I said, do me a favor, man. I, I, and I had Bochi on the, few, on the show a few times. I said, I keep defending Belt. And I know that there's something there. Why the hell is he batting 230 and missing all these pitches? He says, well, is you want to know the truth? You know how he spoke? He goes, he can't hit the fastball right over the heart of the plate. And I started to watch him. And he just said nobody was around me. And the more I watched him, he was having a really rough time. Uh, not 92, 97, 98. Now, if you're a, a stud, 97, over, the, you're going to hit it, man, if you know it's coming. If it's upstairs, that's a different story. He was missing the below letter high fastball. That should be his wheelhouse. Bochi was right. And it gave me a different perspective on the air and how to kind of change. And I relayed the story. And I kind of kept some things out of it on the air to protect Bochi. But it was really, it was great, man. And then I started doing TV in San Francisco, like on their version of SNY, Comcast. And uh, and, I, and I was loving it. And I, I think that, you know, people were definitely initially turned off, like, who is this guy? And they didn't think that I would I would be able to stop caring about the Yankees and the Knicks. But really what I did was, Jets, what I did was I, I, those teams that I still root for and still, you know, will always love passed out on my kids. I would still watch them on my own time. I just wouldn't talk about them as much, you know. And it, it was uh, the Bay Area was was beautiful. It, it, it is to me. I mean, listen, I, I love New York. I'm from New York, but New York is is a mess right now. And so is San Francisco, quite frankly. Too many places are a mess. But I remember walking along the Embarcadero and looking up at the Bay Bridge and, you know, going on walks where I'd walk from basically our condo, which was kind of right near the Bay Bridge, all the way down to the wharf, which is like five, maybe maybe more, five miles. And just like looking at the beauty. And, and it, then you could see... And then you can see the Golden Gate Bridge and we would, we, Jen and I would take our bikes and we would go over down to Sausalito. And then I started doing some fishing by Alcatraz, caught some sick, sick fish, a huge fish and caught a, a leopard shark in the Bay, in the, in the Bay, Bay Area. Uh, I loved it. I, I really, really enjoyed it. It's a world class city, uh, education, a museum, museums, pardon me, stadiums. Uh, more grit for sports than I thought. I'm so happy I went. Yeah, so obviously we're taking a great trip down memory lane here, and we'll start wrapping up here to get you out of here in time for your show. Uh, <laughs> so, I, you know, one thing I want to point out is that, you know, behind every, most great broadcasters is a great spouse. So, you know, kudos to your, to your wife for being like, you know, let's do this. I'm all in. Let's go across the country. And I think that's something a lot of people who are just fans don't realize that Definitely. there's so many more things that come into play than just like, all right, let me just go over there. You got to, and I like that you, you got them to fly her out there to yep. view that. Yep. No, and it's a team effort. It's definitely, absolutely. and she was, in the, she was in the business. She was selling, not on air. I would never want that dynamic. That would be too crazy. <laughs> but she, she gets it. She was selling for ESPN in Dallas. She's Dallas girls. I said before, so she understands, you know, you know what it takes and 
Sometimes you have a bad show or you talked out. She she gets it. Now, listen, she still still breaks my chops. She's a wife and I still annoy her. I'm a husband. But in terms of the support system and the 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 feel for the business, no question. No, she she absolutely gets it. Yeah, I think that's very key there. Uh, you mentioned Mike Francesa. And we won't get into this because I don't want to get you in trouble at all. But me and Joe always yeah. thought that maybe you were going to replace him the first or the second time. Don't know if there's any internal questions there, but... You know, you can't, you, you bet on yourself, you go to the Bay Area, and then very shortly later, you're coming back home. You're doing the national show, TBD in the morning with Dana mm -hmm. and Tiki. Now you're in the afternoons. What was it like, you know, making that transition from always doing local shows, uh, you know, you're doing national. Do, do you still miss taking a lot of calls? Because I think to me, callers are like the lifeline of local shows. And, yep. you know, something I really respect about you guys is no matter what, the, the big story of the day is you're going to talk about it. I remember I was so pumped up. Uh, I tweeted you guys when Ronda Rousey made her debut in WWE. You guys are breaking it down like it was like a huge NFL game. And not, well, well, a, lot of, we, not a lot of people had, are going to do that. We had Rousey on the show. We had we have, oh, we have a great relationship with UFC. You know, but let me let me take you back a step. The, uh, the thing about Mike, and I, I used to, you know, Mike, listen, everybody knows Mike and I had this one epic blow up, whatever. If you want to find it on the internet, I'm sure you can find some stories about it. It was just uh, a ridiculous screaming match that went off the rails. And, and uh, quite frankly, I meant what he what I said, and I'm sure at some points, if not all, he meant what he said, but I definitely, you know, I mean, he, it, it was ugly. And anybody that was in that building that day heard uh, how ugly it was, but you know, things happen, whatever. And, and when he retired the first time I, Made sure I took a picture with him, shook his hand, sent him a text. I even sent him a text about something about something about Willie Mays, something about, uh, oh, maybe within the last five months about when Al Kaline passed along. I said, do you consider Al Kaline a top 25 player? Because I didn't, and I don't. And he did, obviously, a little, you know, an old timer. I could see why. But anyway, there, there was at least that exchange. We're not buddies. We never were, but we're fine. Um, but I will tell you this. When I was with 1050, and, you know, maybe this hurt me in hindsight, I did not, we kept this out of the newspapers by design, right? Now, you got to understand the way this works. Guys and gals are up for jobs. They're agents. They have relationships. Sometimes this works. Sometimes it backfires. They plan stories. They, you know, whether it's with a marsh hand, whether it's with, uh, I mean, Mushnick doesn't get this. Nobody cares about him in terms of breaking sports radio stuff, but certainly Raceman. Um, the, you, you'll plant it and eyeballs will see it. And that could sometimes very, very well help. When I was at 1050, and Mad Dog had just left, right? I got a call, and I'll condense this because I will answer, I'll answer the part about the national spotlight too, or the national show. But they, I met, this is hand to God. No, nobody really knows about this except my agent and the people I'm going to mention, maybe a few of my buddies and maybe two or three people in the business. So I'm giving you something here. Here we go. So, yeah, I'm giving you something. So Francesa, uh, I, I get asked to meet Francesa at a diner in Queens, right by FAN when they're still there. Mad Dog just left. And I said, you know, he's thinking about hiring a partner, you know? I said, yeah, of course, absolutely. So it's me. I get there. Chernoff's there. I'm, I'm, I'm on time. Chernoff's there. Uh, I get there and I look out and Francesca's sitting in like his Mercedes. Of course, he's got to come in like 20 minutes late, whatever. <laughs> you know, it's true. Yeah, maybe not 20, but he made me wait at like 10 minutes. He, he, he ambles in. We sit down. We get, it was like a brunch, maybe. because It's like I, a scene right of the Sopranos right here. Right? How it was. <laughs> How it was. Man, I was ready to do business, right? So 
you know, he's not saying much. And, and I really don't know Cherney. I have great respect for him, as I said before, still do, clearly. But, uh, man, I'm, I, I had never really met him. Uh, maybe once or twice. That's not true. Maybe once or twice I'd met him. But very quick, like at a Yankee game, maybe. Very quick. So, you know, he's kind of going through his eggs. I think he was eating. And he says, uh, so I can't, if I Geo should do that, I can't imitate him. So I won't even try. But he says, so he says, let me tell you something. Well, let me ask you something. He said, we listen to your station. Your station's terrible, right? He says, no, that's true. He goes, the only guy who's good on that station is you. He said, otherwise you wouldn't be sitting here. He said, so let me ask you this. How come you don't get good ratings? Right? Is what he asks me. He says, you got talent. He goes, well, interesting. So I look at uh, Chernoff. I look at him. I said, all right. I said, oh, I said, are we like off the record? Uh, you know, are we talking real here or do you want me to? No, we're talking. He said, first of all, you're under contract. You shouldn't even be here. Okay. I said, because my signal's horrendous because nobody can hear me. That's that's why. And then I know I hit this earlier in the podcast. So I don't need to get into it now, but that was basically my answer, right? So now I, I don't say this. I don't know if I was going to get the job. I don't know that. But what I do know is that they brought me in and then we had a good discussion about some other stuff, you know, philosophies, whatever. And if you remember, Mike brought me in his studio for well over an hour before I went to San Francisco on the Yes Network. I don't know if you guys know that. Like, I remember getting a call from Ray Martell, uh, who wound up producing me in the morning for a little bit, ironically. Hey, Mike wants to have you on, on before you go to San Francisco. Of course, yeah. So I'm like, what time do you want me to call in? No, no, no. He wants you to come in studio. I'm like, oh, definitely. Like, to me, that was, that was a real sign of respect. Now, he also took jabs at the other station, so maybe he's using me a little bit. But right. like, to put me on for an hour, uh, who, who am I at that point compared to what he has? Uh, not nobody really. And I, I thought that was a really awesome gesture. So I, I spoke to Mike a lot about, you know, should I take this job? What should I do? Um, and I confided in Mike and I trusted his business sense. So that his, his, his sense of the industry. So that explosion that we had was so unfortunate because I didn't see that coming. He deserved it. But he, I didn't see it coming. And again, we've made amends since as much as you can make amends without being incredibly tight with somebody. But, you know, I, I, we did the right thing. I showed him respect um, when he retired, as I said. So anyway, the bottom line is that nobody knows that. And it was only reported as, well, I think he spoke with Ian Eagle. And he, I think he may, may, maybe, maybe, maybe Sid, maybe. Ian Eagle, Sid, I think Max Kellerman. I think, I'm pretty sure Max. Those were the three names that were that were in the newspapers. And I remember that really pissed me off because I was keeping it out of the papers for, per, partially for self-preservation because I was employed, uh, you know, by ESPN. And I wanted to do the right thing and protect Cherney and, and protect Mike. You know, it was kind of off the record meeting at that point for sure. But I didn't get a push. Like you hear the push in WWE, right? I didn't get a push that I may have gotten if my name was thrown in there. So... Again, the people who know that, I know that. My agent, and it's still the same agent. My agent knows it. Olivero knows it. Journey knows it. Francesa knows it. It's about it. My wife knows it. Maybe two or three of my buddies, as I said. But uh, whatever. It was, it, 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 it was, here's what it was. And I say this not to brag because there's nothing to brag about. I didn't get the job. I say that because it reinforced in my mind. And I think at that point, I, I think every talent always needs reinforcement, no matter how even somebody like Colin, I know Colin, and I really like Colin's show. Somebody like Colin, even somebody like Jim Rome. Jim Rome, I know Jim too. 
listen, they might not project this on the air. I don't care how many millions you make or how many affiliates you have or where you are. Talent, we are inherently insecure. If you do the right kind of show, if you put yourself out there and you really care about the show, not a TV guy who's on the radio because they're just throwing him an extra half a million and he really doesn't give a shit about the show. He cares about TV. Oh, that person probably isn't that secure on the insecure on the radio. If you care about the medium of, of, of radio, the business of radio and how you're perceived and true fans, what they think of you, what they think of your show segment to segment, you are a little insecure. So at that point, I think it was a nice validation that, hey, I don't know if I'm getting this job. I don't even know if I would take it. I probably would, to be fair. But, you know, let's see. Would they bring me in to be a sidekick? Well, then that would be different. Am I a, a, really a co-host? Probably not. But I would have to see the role. I'm not going to sit there in the corner and, and interject 10 words in an hour. That, I, that, I, that's not me. I mean, if it was 70-30, 65, it was, maybe I would do it, right? But it validated it was a respect that, that they thought I had some talent. And from two guys who are titans of industry, uh, actually three, because Olivero's there as well, he was involved. That was reassuring and, and that was galvanizing. In terms of the coming back home, you know, I, I'll never forget, I was in the parking lot of the Coliseum and I'm sitting there uh, getting ready to do, Yankees are in town, getting ready to do my afternoon drive show from O.Co. Today, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all the entertainment you love without the hassle. Direct TV Stream brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before, which means you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. And the best part? There's no annual contract. So stop waiting and get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. Every day, thousands of hackers try to steal your crypto. But Arculus uses air-gapped technology by forming a protective barrier that insulates you from hackers and secures your crypto. Order yours at GetArculus.com. I'll see him. And, you know, I like to get there early. That's just how I roll. And, you know, I, I don't even know if we were set up yet. Uh, yeah, our tent and our broadcast was set up. But no, no fans in there. It's like, let me see. My show started at 2. It's probably 12. I'm in the parking lot, maybe 11.40. Get a call from my agent. And he alerts me about this new network that they are really beginning to pursue, CBS Sports Radio. And it's run by Oliveira, who I love and who I trust. And it's, and Journey's involved. And Eric Spitz, is, who's left, who went to Sirius. But, you know, Spitz, he was my boss directly for five years or so, four years, who I also love and respect. Three people, Oliveira, Spitzy, and Journey, they're, they're fronting this thing. You know, and I was one of the guys that they wanted to, one of the talents that they wanted to be um, as a marquee, you know, morning drive out, launch point for a new network with 150 affiliates. And to me, it was a no brainer. Yeah. I remember sitting there saying, I'm in. I mean, and I remember a couple of times texting, you know, I was in Chinatown in uh, San Francisco and, and we're in an Uber coming back. I get an email from Oliver because I had to get out of my contract. Like, there was a lot of stuff that I had to get out of my contract, which ironically was Entercom. Entercom <laughs> was San Francisco too. But, but at that point, it, it was a different dynamic, it, whatever. So I had to, we had to jump through hoops to get out of the contract. And initially they said no. So I'm like, okay, I guess I'm sticking. And I was fine with it. We started to look for a, a home. And uh, I, again, I was immersed in the San Francisco scene. I loved it. But once they came back and I got that email from Chris, hey, 
if, if we offer you this, are you sure you can get, and I'm like, we will get out of this contract. Yes. And we wound up getting out of it. I think there was even a little trade, like a little concession, seriously, like nothing big, but something about an affiliate or a flip. If you let them out, we'll give you, there was some sort of low level trade to actually uh, allow them to get me out of my contract. And when I came back, it was, it was the way, well, to be fair, Dana's incredibly talented, but it was the wrong dynamic for the show. It really was. She, I watch her on CBS. She is so talented and she's a great person. But what was happening was, you know, she's aggressive. I'm aggressive. Tiki's not as aggressive. That's not his personality. So I remember we're starting shows after football Sundays and I'm leading the show. I'm, you know, I'm the driver. And like Dana, to her credit, is like jumping in and like, you know, and, and Tiki's kind of laying out. I'm saying to myself, like, wait a second. This guy was an old pro that, no, this is, this is not, it's not, it's not supposed to be this way. And again, credit to her because she's doing what I would have done if I was in that chair and she was driving. I would have done the same thing. You fight to your territory. Um, but Tiki's not combative in that sense. He's more low-key laid back. And I didn't love, listen, again, please, nothing to do with her. It could have been somebody that I loved, even if it was Stephen A or somebody that I've worked with, I should say, that I that I had a rapport with, Stephen A or Jody Mack. I can't work with three people. It, it's just, it's too many. I have too much to say. It wasn't fun. It wasn't, I wasn't able to air it out. You know, with two people, with Tiki, I could get on my rant. I can be me. With three people, especially driving, you know, I got to set up Tiki, got to set up Dana, got a dish, got to get a little shot here. Okay, now I got to get rid of the ball. Boom. I, it, it wasn't the right it wasn't the right setup. And to be quite frank, I'm not so sure if I'm a morning guy. Uh, I like my humor to, um, you know, honestly, I think I'm funny when I, I think I'm, I, I, I'm not bit funny. Like I'm not going to come up with this bit. I'm not going to give you a, an impression like Gio perfect for the morning, really talented guy, really talented guy. And the bearings, the, the ratings are bearing that out. He's just good at that stuff. Me, you know, I want to be more aggressive, more assertive, which plays better in the afternoon or midday. Certainly afternoon. I, I love doing drive, which is what we're doing now and have for years. Um, I take pride in being funny and being unpredictable. Like, you know, you know, I'll bury somebody and but you can't bury him with the aggression in the morning. It doesn't play as well. Um, maybe with different with a different partner. I don't know. Maybe at this stage of my life, I'd be better at it. I don't think I was particularly good at doing mornings. And I definitely don't think that the dynamic of that show was the best setup. So for me and Tiki now, who have been together for seven plus years, it, it's more the way it's supposed to be. He's such, you know, he's a, and it took me a while, quite frankly, I've told him this, I've said, I've said this on the air. He's a real deep thinker. He's borderline brilliant. Like he really, it's not pseudo intelligence. Tiki is a smart guy and he's smart about a lot not just a little stuff. Like he, he's very worldly, right? Which I love. So, but I had to learn that because, you know, being in the studio with Stephen A and Jody Mack, you know, obviously Stephen A will fight anybody, but even Jody Mack will fight you. Jody Mack will come back and give you a great spirited, loud debate. And that's not Tiki's wheelhouse. So I had to kind of learn how that works and how I can be me, but he can also be fulfilled delivering the way he wants to without me getting frustrated and him not getting frustrated by me being too overbearing, which, you know, on occasion I could be, I, 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 I acknowledge that. 
you know, so he's a great partner. He's an easy partner. Uh, I hate, although I think it's thawed a bit. I hate the way giant fans and I read some stuff on social media. He, he, he really doesn't, but I do. Uh, and I hate the way they position and hold it against them because if they knew what, you know, what happened with Eli and Coughlin, uh, because if they really knew the guy, he, he's one of the, not, he's one of the most charitable, personable, uh, well-intentioned people that I forget about ever worked with that I know. He's just got yeah, BT. Great- I mean, it's, it's, it's a joke that he gets any hate quick story. Uh, in 2012, I'm interning at WFAN and uh, I, I'm in the ballpark to pick up the phone. They're like, Tiki Barber's here. Come let him in. I'm like, oh, no problem. I'll go, I'll go get Tiki Barber. I go out to the front desk and Tiki introduces himself to me. He's like, hi, I'm Tiki Barber. I'm like, yep. I know exactly who you are. Why <laughs> are you shaking my hand? And yep. then he comes in. And then like a few minutes later, you and Dana come in. I guess this is when things are just going to get started. You're having some meeting. I'm like, yeah. wow, what are, what's going on here? Like, I see Dana all the time. Uh, I used to see her on cold pizza. And yeah. you come in from ESPN then. You know, the rest is uh, the rest is history. He's that kind of guy. Yeah. I mean, he, you know, because that's the way he was raised. And, you know, his mom did a great job. And we, we had her on the show uh, once or twice. And you could tell that that they've got that they got great direction and great. I mean, just the, the respect is he's just he's just a good dude. He's a really he's got a good heart. He was a great player. Um, and he's just a good person. And he's easy to work with. You know, and we're at the point now you've been together so long, like, we just the, the flow of the show and, you know, we, I can sense when he wants to follow up when we have a guest or, and he knows conversely, all right, BT is going to dig. He's, he's looking for answers <laughs> right now when he's coming aggressive. Let me lay out, let me let him go one-on-one with the subject for a little, for a little bit, whether it's a topic or a person and, uh, and it works out great. And it's been, I mean, geez, January 2nd, 2013 was the first show. And here we are, it's almost 2021. And, you know, we're still doing CBS sports radio and, you know, along the way, and, and, and listen, he was very flexible last year when I did Discovery. I was in Utah for five weeks doing the Man vs. Bear show, and I basically took all of my vacation time and I applied it. So I missed um, basically five weeks of the show, except on Wednesdays when they found me a remote studio in Salt Lake City and I would drive 40 miles. And, and I say this, you know, it's not like, whoa, look at me doing Discovery. No, I say this because he had to carry the weight of the show there for five weeks and I wasn't there. And he had to drive the show, something he has become more comfortable with, but but quite frankly, maybe wasn't as comfortable back then with. And that was a lot of sacrifice. You're doing solo shows. And he knew it was something his partner had to do, you know, for my career. It's, it's, it's a good opportunity. And for minute one, he was like, dude, you have to do this. Are you kidding me? You absolutely must do this. So he's just, um, he's a great guy. He really is. He's just a great dude. Yeah. Uh, I've never had the pers- uh, the pleasure of meeting him. Uh, I spent a, about a year or so freelancing for CBS, uh, CBS Sports Network a couple of years ago. So uh, I got to know a couple of people who, uh, who worked there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, before we, we let you go, we, we want to talk about tops for a second. Yeah. Uh, so the, the whole landscape has changed. Obviously, CBS Sports Radio has, has since blown up. Obviously, the network's gotten much more popular. Uh, mm-hmm. That top show is... Uh, one of the best, you know, Sunday preview shows out there now, obviously, you know, you spent uh, quite a period of time there. You mentioned Amy Trask before, obviously uh, she's outstanding on that show. Obviously everybody loves and respects her. Yep. Uh, so uh, by this time you, you, you've been on TV a lot, you know, you've, you've kind of gotten all the intricacies of, of being on television down. Obviously this is right in your wheelhouse, you know, you, know, you get to talk about the jets and get to talk about everybody else. So 
just let everybody know how your experience was that. Obviously, you got to work with a bunch of tremendously talented people, including guys like my guy, Adam Shine, uh, who I have a great story. You know, we'll get to that, you know, for another day. Uh, mm -hmm. And then obviously, the guy you were separated from birth with, your man, Keith Irizarry. Yeah. I mean, that's win over there. We had him on the show a couple months ago, uh, and he had nothing but great things to say about you. But obviously, anybody who's ever watched Hops, uh, you two look exactly like. We do. Uh, that was really by designer that you uh, CBS really lucked into that. So, well, I'll tell you this: I he's he's your take on Hops. He's a little. He's a little. Well, no, I mean, he's actually jacked. So he's physically more jacked, but I'm better looking. That's the joke. <laughs> Even though we look alike, no, he is. Uh, Keith's a great guy, and. It, listen, I, I remember the um, I remember getting a call and they were coming up with the concept of tops. Right. So this was the spring of 2013. Jeez, tw spring of 2013. And, you know, I'm only doing the radio show for a couple of months now. And I'm in the CBS family and I was certainly hoping that TV would would follow. That was certainly part of the plan. And it was intimated that there was a good chance that it would. But you never know. So long story short, I go to uh, <clears throat> I get I get asked to go to a meeting. And, you know, it's all the CBS suits. It's uh, Tyler Hale is there and uh, who I still who I still work with and, and, you know, know, and he helps me with a lot of things. Everybody's there. And and I'm I'm hell bent on being on time. And my taxi broke down. So I ran I ran seven blocks. Right. And now I'm, it's it's yeah. You know, it was early summer. Not it was early summer. So it was hot as hell out. And I have a three-piece suit on. This is like when I was rocking the vest under. I got the tie, the suit, the vest. I show I am dripping sweat, dripping sweat, right? And it was kind of a joke, still a joke. And the more they kept, you know, saying it, like the more, I guess, not nervous, but aware of it. So the sweat wasn't going away. I'm like, this is a disaster. Finally, we like we start talking about the show. And I remember coming home that day and my wife's like, what do you think? I'm like, you know, once the sweat went away, I, um, I, 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 I did, I think I did well. I put forth what I want and, and we'll see. And then you kind of forget about it. Then I got the call that I actually got the show and, I, and I'll never forget. I'm like, wow. I mean, that's, that's absolutely amazing. Bart Scott was on the first year. This is before Fletch came in. And listen, man, it was for seven years, 20 plus shows, a year because we would do more. Yeah, we would do 17 regular season shows, four hours. We would do, you know, wild card weekend, divisional conference. Then we'd do a bye. Then we'd do the Super Bowl. Then if it was a CBS Super Bowl, we would do a tops at night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday after my radio show. Then we would do draft specials. Then we would do season preview. I did probably about 170 shows, right? And it was seven years of getting up at, you know, four in the morning every single Sunday I grant that they make it easy they have a car waiting for you but still you know Saturday around one you know two in the afternoon you're like all right I gotta I gotta put the suit out and I've got to make sure my script is into my to my producer and I gotta make sure I'm all buttoned up and it's a lot of work during the week in addition to the radio which is fine that's why they're paying you but I say all this because I, I don't miss it I don't I, I don't miss it at all I um so thankful for the seven years and, you know, Adam and Amy and Fletch. I got a pair of great game-worn cleats from Fletch in my man cave that I really appreciate. You know, Fletch is a boy and Shine's a buddy and Amy is just, I love her. And people I worked with behind the scenes and I got to know Keith a little bit after that. And Keith's a great dude. 
I loved it. I, I, but I was getting a little bored with it. I honestly was getting a little bored with the show. It was because it was pretty much the same show. Now, every season is different, obviously. Different storylines, injuries, different teams, different teams are doing well, different teams are struggling. So the conversation was different, but the structure, what well, it was the same show. And I think it's the same show by design because it works. It's effective. But I, I don't miss it. I, I have really enjoyed, I haven't watched it. I've watched it like once or twice where if I'm just busting through channels, I don't even really watch ESPN's coverage. I, I, I'll tell you what I do. Sundays, you know, during when the weather's nice, I might go hit balls. Uh, we're going to watch church. We can't go to church. We watch church. And, you know, I have a new tradition. Every Sunday, I take one of the kids to the, uh, to the Italian store down the road. We get heroes for, the, for Sunday, um, you know, and they get excited. It's kind of a whole, and it, it takes an hour, get in the car, drive down the road, put the order and wait there. And I get to do things, just enjoy it. I can enjoy my Saturday nights. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, this will change. I, hopefully, I, my, it's my goal to eventually get connected with something like this again, but something a little different, you know? It's the first I've sat out on my porch, you know, with, with the fire pit a couple of times this Saturday, this year on Saturdays with my wife and, you know, a little wine or a little scotch for me. And I'm like, I haven't done this since 2012. Like not once because I'm not the kind of, I'm not even having a drink on a Saturday night. I mean, suits out, showered, you know, got to shave the dome, got to make sure the beard's looking tight, got to make sure the bag is packed. And I've got to make sure that, you know, when that, when my alarm goes off at four o'clock, hopping back in the shower, go throw the, you know, and, and, and go to work and, and do well um, and be alert and be ready to rock. And it was just, it's become a little stale for me. It was becoming a little stale for me. So when the decision was made that they were going to shake things up, I was, I just expressed gratitude for the seven years, everybody involved. Um, you know, I, I sent the text to, to those, to my, my actual direct coworkers. I miss you guys. Love you guys. Always, always rooting for you guys. Um, but it's, it's been a different football season and, and in a lot of ways from a family point of view and well, in every way from a family point of view, it's been, it's been the best football season I've had ever because I haven't always had kids, you know, my kids are young. Um, and it's just, it's just, it's a dynamic that has been, I think the timing was great. If there was ever a year not to do it, I think this was a good year to kind of let's 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 hang it home for a little bit and revisit that next season. But much love for everybody at Tops. I mean that. And they do a good job. And the other thing that's cool, you know, I should have thrown this in before, is that not only the people that I work directly with, but every week, you know, I did a segment with Boomer. So I'd see Boomer coming in. I would do the segment with Boomer. I'd get a chance to BS with Boomer after it. I'd see Coach Cower coming in. Every single Sunday, these guys came in. You know, Nate Burleson, <clears throat> I always call him Nate Dog. Nate Dog rolls in. You got, you know, Coach Cower. You've got, who am I? I'm, le I'm leaving. Uh, oh, Phil. And then Phil Sims started coming in. And Phil's the best. And he just talked to these NFL luminaries during commercial, you know, when they come in and after it. You know, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think? going to hire this guy what do you think? like you, you develop a rapport that's not lost on me a lot of them would come on the show with me and tiki because of the relationship all good things but happy i didn't do it this year yeah it's, it's definitely great to to watch the game from another perspective and you know the saying is you save the best for last but right here right now i got to talk about the most depressing subject last and that is the new york knicks i think personally <laughs> we're looking at at worst the third pick in the draft and at best 
uh, record-wise, the eighth pick. So I think they'll be in a three to eight range. So real they quick on that, me. real quick yeah. on that, what do you think about the, the future here for the Knicks? I don't know. I don't know what they're doing. <clears throat> Man, you know, listen, they're going to have to get lucky. And they're going to have to grab a star from the draft. And maybe that star is, is topping. Um, I would have drafted Halliburt. I'm on the record, <clears throat> you know, because they just need a guard that can penetrate and shoot. And Halliburt, does, he's also a very good defender with a great wingspan. But the bottom line is, <clears throat> until the Knicks show some promise, there's no free agents flocking here. You know, the Knicks have to get decent before somebody says, you know what? All right. There, there's stability there. I'm going to join that. I'm, I'm now. Now I'll, I'll be the final piece. Let's go. So that's number one. Number two, <clears throat> they uh, they seemingly hired some smart people. Now they've also done that in the past. Donnie Walsh. Mm, uh, Phil was not ready to be a GM, but Donnie Walsh was a great one. And then Dolan got in the way. Until Dolan proves that he could stay away, and maybe he's going to stay away with this group with Leon Rose, etc. Uh, I like what they've done. They've done some smart, listen, not front page things, but, you know, making a trade and then spinning that guy off from multiple second round picks, which could obviously help you in a, in a big deal down the road. They've got $19 million in cap space. Um, was I intrigued by Westbrook? Yeah, because you're always intrigued with getting somebody and becoming decent rather than being a punching bag after, you know, like we have been for 10 years. Yeah, I get it. It's always more fun to win a few than lose a few, but I actually think they're on decent course. They've got a respected head coach who will demand defensive tenacity and accountability. And I believe that Thibs will learn and has learned from some previous mistakes. I believe he'll be more of a modern coach where he'll still demand, but he'll take his foot off the gas in terms of three-hour practices, practice after a game. Like, I believe he knows you can't do that in 22. The, the NBA doesn't It just doesn't work that way anymore. I think he's learned his lesson. <clears throat> so I think you'll see a better coach, and he's already a good one, more evolved coach. I like the decision makers. You got to – I mean, Knox has to pop a little bit. You know, Nilakita, same story every year. You got no point guard. You got a glut of forwards and big men. I mean, they're going to be terrible this year, but they, they're going to be bad. But you have to hope that they drafted properly with Toppin, that, that R.J. Barrett becomes – I like his motor a lot and he becomes more efficient shooting the ball. He's got it. He can't shoot 60% from the free throw line when you're a guard or a forward, you get, give me a break. And if those things happen, the other pieces on the, you know, Mitchell Robinson as well, the other pieces don't matter. Dennis Smith is going to be gone soon. And, you know, Alfred Payton's going to be gone. Who cares about these guys? We, we know who we're paying attention to and we know who needs to get better. Uh, and under the guidance and the tutelage of Thibs, hopefully they do, but it's going to be, I mean, let's Knicks will be, absolutely one of the two, three, four worst teams in the NBA. It just is what it is. Definitely not getting the first pick. That's for sure. No, <laughs> you never know. Uh, hopefully we do. It's, it's going to be a good draft too. So hopefully. Yeah. Uh, listen, Brandon, we, uh, Nick and I were anticipating 30 to 45 minutes and you gave us almost an hour and 45. Pure gold. <laughs> absolutely incredible. Uh, your career journey, uh, all your trips down memory lane. Uh, I think your life perspectives more so than anything else, obviously, uh, were really, really great here. Uh, there were a lot of things we didn't even have time to talk about, right? We didn't even get to the Jets. Uh, we didn't even get to Man vs. Bear. So, yeah, we'll do it next time. Yeah, no, I was going to say, hopefully, uh, next time you come on, hopefully within the next couple of weeks, maybe the next couple of months, you know, you could find some time you could have you on again. Uh, 
we had such an amazing time here. Thank you for giving us all this time. Really, really appreciate it. Uh, we give our guests always the last word. Uh, if there's anything you want to promote, anything you want to share, the feel free. The floor is yours. Uh, I want to wish you, I want to wish your wife, I want to wish your children a very, very Merry Christmas. Very, very happy holidays. Uh, again, this was absolutely incredible. Thank you for coming on again. The floor is yours. It, well, it's my pleasure. And, and thanks for having me, guys. And Merry Christmas and, and happy holidays to both of you guys. And hopefully 2021 is better than 2020. Um, I would say that you guys ask good questions. I appreciate, I respect the hustle. This is a very, the, the, the line between, you know, making it, trying to make it is, is it's, it's a tough line. Um, anybody who is proactive and, and has passion for this, I've got respect for, and you guys did a really good job. So it was fun being on. And the other, I would only add that, you know, I think that, uh, and anything that I said today, whether it's about, you know, myself, um, it's hopefully it came across as, as, as it was intended. It was not, uh, yeah, to be you, you know, people, people don't look at the F bombs and like, ah, <laughs> oh, I don't care about that. I don't care about that. I don't care about that in terms of like the boy, like not, uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, I, I took you behind the curtain with some things here. So, you know, anybody that listens to this, um, it's, it, I hope the passion for the business came through, uh, how I love what I do, how I cherish what I do, how I, I truly am thankful for anybody who listens to me. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, I think people know, I hope they know, I hope this has been impressed, impressed upon them a long time ago that, you know, the dude that they're listening to uh, on the air, whether it's during the St. John's game or the Red Storm Report or obviously Tiki and Tierney or back in the day with 1050 or San Francisco, whatever it might be, Tops, SNY, that's the guy like there's no there's no false pretense like I you know I truly do uh, I truly do respect the business and I truly do respect people in the business and um, you know it's I think there's a lot more to do from my end and I'm looking forward to seeing what's next and you know what else I could tackle and I could just promise that I'll just bring the same heat same heat and the same passion to that as I have hopefully with everything else that I've done so far in my career. So it was my pleasure guys. BT, we really appreciate it. So that's going to do it here for an amazing episode of, you know, I'm right for our very special guest, Brandon Tierney. Nobody calls him that it's BT. And for my co-host Joe Calabrese, I'm Nick Durst. And this has been, you know, I'm right. Hi, it's Jonathan Cotton with the good feet store. And I've shared before how I love an organization called TAPS, Tragedy Assistance Program for Survivors. Recently, we invited some TAPS family members who had lost a military loved one to have dinner with us. As we listened to their stories, I was reminded again of how the loss of a military loved one is such a devastating experience. Not only is the loved one gone, but often they lose their military community and sometimes an entire lifestyle. My heart was sad over their grief yet my spirit was inspired by their courage. Then to top it off, I was amazed at their graciousness as they thanked us for just listening. At the Good Feet Store, we love helping you get out of pain and back into the life you love, and we love supporting the work of TAPS. Come in today for your free fitting and test walk and ask any of our team members why TAPS is an organization that every American can support. Visit goodfeet.com for the location nearest you.